Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're going to talk about Injured to Elite with Dr. David Meyer. This is awesome. I'm so happy to be here with you guys, Daron, Nicole, and I'm excited to see what we talk about today because there's a lot to talk about. There's <laughs> plenty to talk about. I think the first thing that I want to dive into with you, Dave, is what was your inspiration for writing this book? I want to kind of give a little brief history that led up to writing this book. Yeah, I'll give the bluff statement, the bottom line up front. So I grew up in Long Island with you, Daron, as you might remember, and Diehard sports fan, grew up with a father that suffered from chronic kidney disease and had some physical ailments that challenged him. And I watched his struggle and he really didn't let it define his life. He was a diehard sports fan that had a major impression on my life. And so sports was my outlet. And I always knew that I wanted to take my career into a sports direction. At five foot five, you don't really get to play professional sports too often. So when that's not a possibility, you always go to the second best thing, which is to work with professional athletes. So my goal was to work in professional baseball. And I'm very fortunate and grateful that my career has allowed me and afforded me the opportunity to work for the St. Louis Cardinals from 2015, 16, and 17. I was there working for the Cardinals. And to answer your question directly, I was a year into this dream job of mine, working with professional baseball players. And they there was a player on the training room table. He's sitting there. I consider myself an intuitive empath and I feel his energy and I see he's really down and I felt it, but I had like 15 people in the training room and my head was going everywhere. Give this person a TheraBand, make sure he's on his throwing program. And here this player is on the training room table sitting there and obviously not feeling great about his situation. He was a year into his Tommy John rehab. And instead of me taking him into the office and chatting with him about what might be going on, I just kind of made light of the situation, made maybe a little joke to kind of let off some steam in this situation. And we just went about our business and that was it. And six months to a year go by, we come into the facility one day and we're told, Player X, unfortunately, attempted unsuccessfully, thank God, suicide, and it was that player, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm like, oh, I missed it, and, and I didn't miss it. I caught it, but I didn't go about it the way I would have wished I did. Being that I was a psych major undergrad in SUNY Albany, I was really hitting myself because that was my first love, seeing my father's struggle. I vowed to myself after that point that I wasn't going to let these players fall through the cracks, which I thought to be the mental side of rehab. So that was the genesis. That was the beginning of it, uh, the abbreviated version, at least. Wow. So, Dave, this is something that you've, uh, from our conversations that we've had in the past, mental health is something that you've dealt with a lot in baseball. Yeah, I mean, identity crises that they suffer. They're these professional athletes, but really behind that, in the bodybuilding world, you see it all the time. Yeah, I was just going to say that. And behind all the muscle, a lot of times is illness and addiction. And a lot of times bodybuilding is a saving grace, just like professional athletes. That's really their way of expressing themselves. So when they're injured or they're not performing well, the crisis they go through is really, it's really difficult. And they're supposed to be tough, right? They're a professional athlete. If they're in one of the major four sports, they're taught to be a tough male. You're not allowed to be emotional and it creates problems. It really does. So would you say this is kind of the defining moment where you realized like, hey, I need to take a different approach to physical rehabilitation? That's that's really it, man. It was a defining moment in my career where I basically, I wouldn't say it was that, it was not that glamorous where it was like, all right, we're going to go in this direction. It was a, a period of three years. It was really getting into kind of like a dark side of dealing with my boss at the time and not really feeling like I can express myself the way I felt internally. And so, you know, my three years with the Cardinals, the first half was one way. The second half probably wasn't as great on the, the you know, my connection to my superiors as I would have liked. Not that I got in trouble, but I just didn't express myself freely. So 
it was a matter of a three to five year period as I was rediscovering this and trusting it and trusting it more to the point where you see with the book I wrote and the podcast and all the things I post on social media where now I'm like, no, 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 this train has left the station. We're not going backwards. Even if I have a doctor of physical therapy license degree, I, I'm very comfortable in what I talk about now more on the mental side. And yeah, so that was my defining. That was very much a defining moment for me. You're absolutely right. I like that your struggle, if you would call it that, with figuring out what your path was in your career ends up creating this book. Like, you know, everybody has something that they go through that if you know, kind of just shines light on everything we're going to talk about today. If you turn that into something positive, it creates a whole different perspective on everything that you do in life moving forward. Nicole, Confidence, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, you don't see it that way. And I know that's something that we've talked about. You don't see it that way at what I call time zero, right? Like yeah. the, the time of injury, the point in my career where I was being told, hey, uh, your contract's up. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be bringing you back for another contract or I'm not. we're not bringing you back for another contract. In that moment, you're not thinking to yourself, yes, this is great. You're thinking- Right, right. Oh, shit. No. <laughs> yeah, like, well, all right. I guess that was fun. It takes time to develop that perspective. And, and I'm very fortunate that I have that psychological flexibility that I think some people struggle with. And I think that's the, really the difference maker, whether you're dealing with an injury or you're building a business. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, I wish it was so easy where you pop into it, but it's painful. It, it yeah. definitely, it still is at times. I mean, I could be doing things a lot easier if I wanted to. I could work at the PT clinic. That's that's a lot easier than what I'm doing. You know, you mentioned Time Zero, and you mentioned Time yeah, Zero. You have a whole chapter. You have a whole chapter <laughs> on Time Zero in your book, and I think it's interesting that you brought up Time Zero from a stand. You bring it up in your book from a standpoint of that's the moment of injury, and for you, it wasn't. It was still a Time Zero, but it wasn't necessarily a moment of injury. But you were able to take that and say, okay, you know what? I have these ideas. I want to change an industry because I think there's opportunity here. And that became an opportunity for you. So talk to us a little bit about time zero and injuries and what that means to an athlete or even a regular person. Yeah. I mean, you guys do a great job at explaining science in ways people can understand. So time zero is something that they talk about, whether you're in a lab or the emergency department, it's the initiation of triage or the beginning of a science experiment, essentially. And so I look at time zero as this moment right after the worst happened, whether you just tore your ACL, you just tore your pec on a bench press or a pec fly machine. You know, we know all those people in the bodybuilding world. It's that moment when you broke up with your significant other. It's the moment where I was told, hey, Dave, we're not bringing you back to the Cardinals next year. And at first you're kind of just like in your body a little bit and in your head, your, your mind goes different places like, oh, wow, that really just happened. But your body, you feel the pit, you feel the, the heart rate. And as humans, generally, right away, we want to like just patch it up. Like if we're falling, we want to get up and we want to just, sometimes we want to just walk back onto the field and continue the play. We all know the athletes that don't even want to sit down uh, you know, on the bench to get evaluated. And what I found, and the reason I made a chapter out of it was this is the inflection point. This is the time to go on the sabbatical, to go take the time of reevaluating everything, really. And that's why I talk about get into your body. What was the temperature like that day? What were the people around you? Who was supporting you? Who wasn't? It's like this beautiful moment of like, mm -hmm. what's really going on in the life of, of me? And everything has to connect then. One of the things that I absolutely love about the book was that you can take all of the chapters, all the concepts, all the theories, and you really can apply it to anything. I mean, everybody on our podcast knows that I was a dancer. So injury is absolutely nothing that I, I clearly have experienced a lot. So right. I, we relate to each other very well um, when we talk about injuries. But when I had my injury and they told me you can't do this anymore, some of the things I felt was I'm not good enough. Oh my gosh, what could I have done different? 
you know, I'm a failure, you know, you, everything of what you think your future is going to be, if you're an athlete and you see this for your future is completely gone and taken away. And then I'm like, oh, I have no idea what else I'm going to do with myself. This was the plan. So I think part of it is the mental part of it is the physical from the injury perspective, but I just love how you kind of tie in taking ownership. I know we're going to get to all this, so I'll, I'll stop there, but Dave, from a standpoint of time zero, you kind of put a different spin on it and just having a different outlook on it. Right. Right. It's it's uh, the moment that somebody gets injured and they're like, oh, I'm fucked. Like, that's it. Right. And then you kind of put a spin on how your outlook is on that. You, you got it. Both of you got it. So, Nicole, with your experience as a dancer, the first thoughts are, am I ever going to dance again? Mm-hmm. My life is totally upside down, maybe never going to be as good as it once was. And, and Daron, to what you just said, it's exactly right. But if you avoid, you got to go into that feeling a little bit like, yeah, I feel like I might've lost something that means so much to me. And that's when you start reevaluating the things around you. So for instance, you start seeing how those people around you are acting towards you. Are they supporting you? Are they uplifting you? Or are they pushing you down? It's a great defining moment of people in your life. And if those people around you are not supporting you with maybe your goal of getting back to dancing, well, you just found a quick lesson about that individual in your life, right? And you can start to see all this different crazy meaning that comes to the surface in your life, everything, whether it's your education, your priorities, everything kind of just like is there for you to figure out. And most people do own like you were kind of talking about, they run away from it. And they just say, I got to go somewhere else. I'm not comfortable with this. So what I'm saying is you sit in that feeling a little bit, but then you start to get yourself out of that hole, that time zero, you climb the ladder out because now you have that dialogue with yourself, that self-talk of I'm never getting better. My life is over. Well, now we have to shift that dialogue to, okay, how are we going to grow through this? And not just as a dancer, but as a human being. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that point, that's where growth happens. You know, it's interesting because uh, Nicole and I talk about a support system all the time from a nutrition yeah. standpoint, right? And in our world, support is super important for you to be successful. So you yeah. looking at it from your, it's no different. You looking at it from where you're sitting and us looking at it from where we're sitting in terms of you have to have a good support system and you have to be okay with cutting people out of your life that don't serve your greater purpose. You do. And the three things, Daron, you and I have spoken about intrinsic motivation. There's three elements, right? You have support, your social support. You have autonomy, which I think is missed in the physical therapy world. We usually tell them what to do. We don't allow them to be a part of the process. And then building your efficacy or your confidence with what it is you're doing, your belief that you can accomplish it. And I think a lot of times we, yeah, social support is so important, not just with the clinician, but also the family members, the friends. And yeah, unfortunately, when you're in tough times, you got to have people vibrating high around you. If they're vibrating low, you kind of have to just make that tough decision of, of boxing them out a little bit because ultimately that energy is going to bring you in that direction. And a lot of people, I, I hate to say this, but a lot of people are not comfortable in a supportive fashion when you're very vulnerable. A lot of people are afraid of jumping in. And so it's not uncommon to just keep a few select people in your life that are really supporting you through a time. So you got to find them if you don't have them. And I think the, the first thing is, do you have a clinician, a professional that is supporting you holistically? And if you don't have that, then hopefully you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> or reading the book. Or reading or the reading, book, exactly. Or reading yeah. the book. Or both. So I want to talk about that a little bit. So we talked a lot about support. You talked about autonomy and owning your process. And we talked about the uh, third one, which is the belief that you can do it, right? So when, let's touch up on the belief that you can do it and then go back to autonomy. The belief in yourself that you can do something, how do you as a practitioner work to instill that in an individual that was just injured? Or from a motivational standpoint, I know you've been doing a lot on social media about just motivating and encouraging others to do that. Right. So where are you as a clinician in terms of supporting individuals and through that process and believing that they can? Yeah. I always describing being a clinician, a PT as tapping a helium balloon when it's on its last few days of helium. So you're tapping it, you're letting it come down, you're tapping it further and you want to get it as high as possible. And, you know, you think of a bank 
they sell and buy assets. You have to do both. So you have to push people and you have to slow them down. So I think that's a big thing. That's something we do well intuitively as clinicians. I think we encourage our patients well as clinicians. We support them. We are usually coming from a a standpoint of positive encouragement. I don't think that's that difficult for a lot of clinicians. I think where a lot of clinicians go wrong and something that I've honed in on is creating those first few steps where they can really feel like they can master them. How do you allow your your patient to, to go through their process of mastery, right? And I think a lot of clinicians don't encourage their clients to do the really fundamental basic stuff well. We want to get into the fancy manual therapy. We want to get into the fanciest, sexiest exercises and correctives that no one's ever seen before. That, as uh, one of my CIs used to say, the special exercises. We used to, as an early clinician, you always think that there's like these special exercises you prescribe, and then you realize how boring that the most common things that people need to do really are the basic movement patterns. We all kind of move pretty similar. And I think whether it's an ACL reconstruction, a rotator cuff repair, you take those two, right? If you can't encourage your client after ACL to have a good squat pattern, hinge pattern, it doesn't really matter. You're, not, you're certainly not going to do anything too much on the single leg if they can't get that down. And then the same thing for a rotator cuff. If you're not doing the, the forward flexion range of motion well, if you're not getting them to have good range of motion and encouraging them to reinforce it at home, that really basic fundamental step, then how can they ever feel confident about the process? And I think we jump ahead too quick with where our heads are at as clinicians versus meeting them where they're at and letting them really tap into mastery. And I think for me, the key to mastery is self-empowerment, self-education. So if I can encourage them to learn the importance of that range of motion or that squat pattern, if they can really read this book and, and at least get that, then at least they'll be motivated to accomplish that and master it. You know, it's interesting that you say that because from a personal training standpoint, yeah, you know, Nicole and I have been tracing tra training for a very long time. And totally, I tell clients on day one at this point in my career that everything is some variation of a squat, a lunge, a push and a pull. Sure. And a hinge pattern, right? So everything builds off of that. And if you can master the basics of those things, you can pretty much do any exercise. Well, I talk to my clients about that. Like, I just want you to master this. And yes, it's not sexy. It's boring. <laughs> but that's the foundation to everything we do. I, you know, there's a reason in the middle of the book, when I get into the physical side, I have all the the nine fundamental movement patterns, many of the ones you just mentioned, especially for the lower half. And I can't remember how many times I've worked with clients just going through a hinge a million times, just like a personal trainer would or a strength coach would. And I feel like sometimes the client's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know what I'm going to, but that's fine. I, I, I know that we've been working on this for two months, but if you want the, the full re, rehab of your ACL reconstruction, I promise you, once we don't have to do this anymore, it's all gravy. We want to get into the more fun things. If we can get to that point, it's all going to work itself out. So I think the really good clinicians, and there's better physical therapists out there than me. That's not really my thing. The really, really good ones I hate, it sounds really cliche. They do the real basic stuff. They educate them on the real basic stuff really well. And that's where you got to start if you want to help people master anything. So let's move on to autonomy because I, I talk about this all the time with nutrition is you have to own your own process. Like it is not my job to own your process. You have to own it and you have to be submerged in it yourself. So like, where are you at on that? Yeah. Autonomy is an interesting subject when you talk about healthcare and medicine, because I mean, you're not going to give your patient, if you're an internist, well, do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? Like it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way exactly. However, if you really think about it, there is a good amount of autonomy sometimes we have with a good doctor. They do give us some of that, but it's a fine line. It's a slippery slope because you're a medical professional. You certainly don't want them thinking you're not capable of giving, giving them good sound advice. But I think day one, when you're doing your history, when you're, when you're learning about that individual, you really have to start getting those wheels turning, thinking about what makes this person tick. And before you jump into your therapeutic exercise, before you even jump into the session, the treatment, like really get a good idea of, of that individual. Now, if I take somebody 
that tells me straight up, I never use ankle weights. I hate ankle weights. I had a terrible experience with ankle weights. Okay, now we're going to do a straight leg raise because you need to be doing ankle weight straight leg raises because that's what we do for ACLs. First of all, you're not, you're just uphill battle. So, okay, well, what if I use a TheraBand around their lower limb and I apply the resistance that way? Or if I just apply manual resistance? If you're not thinking of a way to kind of give them their flair of what they enjoy, then you're, you're never going to have them buy in anyway. They're not going to do it at home. So I think it starts by, you know, having that good understanding of what they, what their expectations are now within the framework of what makes sense scientifically and, and finding a way to meet them where they're at. But I think, I think a lot of clinicians, a lot of PTs, they take a patient, you have back pain. Okay. You need to do core exercises. Well, what if they're a yogi? Can you, can you somehow figure out a way to integrate their program into their love of yoga? Because then they're actually going to do it. Even if it's core strengthening, but it's really part of yoga and they don't realize it's really core strengthening, well, who cares the semantics? So I think a lot of my peers and myself, even when I was working as a PT, we, we tried to put people into boxes. So the autonomy starts with understanding who you're working with and helping them understand it as cliche as that, as that might be. I agree. I mean, it's every, everything from the fundamentals of nutrition to the fundamentals of exercise to the fundamentals of healing. The, the key word there is fundamentals. Like everybody has to be able to do the basics. We talk about that all the time. And then meeting somewhere halfway is just really understanding the person's entry level to what they're willing to give. If you asked me what I would do to heal to be a dancer, at the time I would have said anything. So, I mean, I think it's different if you're an athlete versus if you're maybe gen pop and, you know, you don't understand how the body works. So like you were saying, Dave, the education piece, I think is what helps them to get to a place where maybe they're willing to do those ankle weighted exercises a different way, you know? I guess. Yeah. And it spurred me on thinking the other piece of autonomy is integrating it into their life. Right. Also the practicality, the pragmatic side of how is this going to look like in their life? So it's one thing in a controlled clinic setting, but what does this look like in their flow day to day? Do they have somebody that can help them if they need somebody to spot them in some way or to help correct them? Do they have the feedback? Do they have a video they can take of themselves? So I think we just have to raise our standards as clinicians, as professionals, in terms of looking creatively into the lens of what does that person's life look like mm-hmm. and put that those glasses on the second you sit down with them rather than just looking at the patient sitting there in your perfect climate-controlled physical therapy or chiropractor office or whatever it is. Look outside of that and see that in your eyes. And then you can start figuring out how this person can do it on their own. And stop trying to also take such ownership of the results of my patient is mine. Like let the person be the the hero of their own story instead of feeling like oh another win on my another win in the 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 david meyer physical therapy clinic like who really cares about that other than you that's the same thing with nutrition if i tell you what to eat we all know that doesn't work right it works well that's why like like, the same thing that's why like meal plans don't like oh somebody will come to us and say hey i want a meal plan and i'm like i'm just giving you foods that i like that i think you should eat that's not setting you up for success. So let's create, that's like what, what we do with like a protein cheat sheet or a carb mm-hmm. cheat sheet or a fat cheat sheet. Let's sit down together, create a list of foods that you like to eat and create different scenarios and how you're going to integrate those into your life. Yeah. Hey, and hey, say what you want about Weight Watchers. I think the one thing we could all say about Weight Watchers is they've mastered the concept of autonomy. Yeah. I mean, you have a point system. You have to follow the point system. You take control of what you are going to eat within that structure of those points. And I mean, listen, just like anything else, you can do it for a period of time, but unless you create the one thing that I would say to the flip side of, of, of Weight Watchers is unless you create that as a lifestyle mm. and that's something you're going right. to continue to do from now on. But the people that are successful to your point, they do that. They take control. They figure out this is the amount of points I have per day. These are the, f- the foods that I'm going to plug into it that I love. And they lose the weight and then they continue to do that throughout life and they, their success is long term. 
I think that's exactly exactly it. And if you think about really good physical therapists or surgeons, it's the same thing. Yeah. If you're just doing Weight Watchers to lose the 10 pounds and then that's it, of course, it's not going to work. But if you really use it as a framework for yourself, or at least to mm-hmm. keep yourself structured, it's no different. The people that get re-injured and they end up at the clinic every single mm-hmm. year, once or twice a year, they have to see their orthopedist or their PT because they always have an injury because they never figured out how does this look like in my life? And I mean, both of you are experts in nutrition. You'll tell me, you know, the, the pitfalls of Weight Watchers versus another program, but it's the same concept of if you're not getting integrated into your life, if, you're, if it's not going to work for you, then it's just a quick goal and it's just going to fade away. I was going to say, it goes back to the fundamentals you were talking about in terms of movement. I feel like if people don't take the time to listen to what their PT is telling them, to they, you're right. just going to re-injure it again. I mean, I remember right. my PT t- telling me, listen, your hip is healed for right now. So you could get back into life. But if you want to do any type of dancing, even on the side or, or lift weights and be a functioning human, these things you have to continue to do from now on to continue to function correctly. So I mean, I still do a lot of my PT exercises now. Good for you. And it's always amazing to, to me when someone tells you what your capabilities might be in the future, like the surgeon, the the physician who says you'll never walk again, and then they get proven wrong. It's so Mm -hmm. crazy to me. I've seen so many people come to me and they're like, I was told this, well, that didn't happen. And that's where the whole thing with thought viruses, we'll talk about that. Or the flip side. So there's kind of, there's two things things to that, right? So you have the person who's like, okay, doctor told me I'm never going to walk again fuck that. I'm going to walk again. That is the right. person that is ready to own their process right. versus you have the other person who's like, doctor said, I'm not going to walk again. I guess I'm not going to walk again. Right. So it's, but listen, you might never walk again, but you're never going to know unless you own your process and try. And yeah. at least you failed trying. Right. And this is what I say for life to people all the time is like anything that you want to do in life, you can do and you might fail trying, but at least you're going to know. I wish more clinicians would maybe just take the certainty out of what they tell them. And at least, you know, because there's some people out there that, that are pretty impressionable in a vulnerable state, but Duron, you're right. Those that kind of go beyond even what they're told by somebody else, they have a higher propensity that psychological flexibility, I think is what I I see it as to just do what they're going to do no matter what. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So you brought up the negative thought viruses. So I definitely want to just jump into into that. So talk to (laughs) us about the concept of negative thought viruses. So it's definitely not something that I coined. I was inspired by the writers of a book uh, titled Explain Pain by David Butler and Lorimer Mosley, a really revolutionary book in the pain science world. A lot of my peers really kind of put this book on a pedestal, rightfully so. And they explained in the book, Explain Pain, this whole idea of a thought virus, basically a negative thought related to our physical body. It could be, it could be streamlined outside of just the physical sense. But for instance, here's a here's an example of a, a negative, now I call it a negative thought virus, because that viruses spread, right? So you can have a positive or a negative thought virus, in my opinion. You could have a, a good thought that can spread as well. But these negative thoughts can be something like, after your hip injury, Nicole, I'm never going to dance again. My hip is always going to hurt like this. I just can't seem to be fixed by my physical therapist. My life is never going to be the same. It's going to always be worse. These are all what we kind of group into these thought viruses. The the book Explained Pain really was the first to really put this to the masses where, hey, we have to think about what we're thinking and and, and make an adjustment there. I kind of take it a little bit further or in, in a, maybe a different bit of a direction, and I call them negative thought viruses, and you utilize thought vaccines to be the antidote to these thought viruses. What's an, a thought vaccine? A thought vaccine is, I am healing. I am getting stronger. My life might not be the same, but my life is growing in a new, better direction. This is going to benefit me in other parts of my life. It could be anything, but the affirmation, we now reprogram that into our daily. So that's just one of the tools that I teach in the book. And I think this is the type of thing that we just don't do enough of in a PT clinic, in a doctor's office. How come we're not giving our clients these tools? There's some science out there. Uh, The whole adage of the 10% of our brain that we use, 
well, that was found actually to be obviously a myth. And the 10% was really a miscited study where they were looking at the neurons in the brain, the 10% of our, our, our brain, that's the neurons, the 90%, the glial network, the glial cells, the supportive structures, the astrocytes, all the glial stuff that actually is very important. Our brain has its own immune system, which we didn't realize. And all these thought issues and thinking and all that stuff that we didn't know how to quantify through Western science and was intuitive with Eastern practices. Well, maybe there's a connection between this 90%, the glial network of our brain, and then biomarkers of health and immunity. So does our thoughts through the front, the prefrontal cortex and the different parts of our brain, does that connect to our levels of inflammation, maybe by a different pathway, not through the neurons? Well, there's pain scientists out there that are now showing that and proving that. So now it's like, oh, there's Western science behind the power of our thoughts. Who would have thought it? <laughs> <laughs> so we're finally coming full circle now, um, which is unbelievable. Dr. Mark Hutchinson came on my show, shared some of that stuff out of the University of Adelaide. So now, Daron, I know you're, you're a real stickler with research, which I respect highly. We are starting to have higher levels of, of, clini of clinical evidence that our thinking and our thoughts can affect our overall health, our immunity, and of course, our ability to, to grow through an injury and overcome an injury. Well, it's also one, like it's the power of positivity. So you think it's just the way you phrase some of the previous sentences. If we can go back for a second, like if someone has an injury and they're like, I'll never be the same. And then your framework of this is going to better me for the future. That's completely different. That's not like, I don't feel pain where you neg negate the fact that there is pain, there is pain and you're addressing that, but you're also saying, okay, there's pain. This is how we're going to create the solution. And this is what's going to make you take that pain into something better in life. So some, just the way you structure some of those sentences, Dave is so incredible because it doesn't, take away the fact that you're in a tough spot or you're going through something bad, but you're actually using that as leverage to perpetuate something better for the future. I love that. Yeah. You know what word I really like? Tension. I like the word tension because if you play around with that word tension, you think of the word attention. And if, if anything I'm saying in this book is, is going to change anything, it's reframing like what yeah. you're talking about, Nicole. It's a reframing. And to answer a few of Daron's earlier questions with shifting perspective, it's helping them reframe it. And this book is definitely helping you reframe it. But the funny thing is, when you think of like tension, an, a nervous tension in your body, and then how you shift the mindset, and now it becomes a positive tension of excitement. We all have gone through those, those little quick exercises. It's the same thing. When you're injured and that fear right? That, that fear that you're going to re-hurt yourself or you're not going to be the same. When that turns into excitement and we reframe that even slightly, it's amazing now how you change your actions on a day-to-day -day basis. The most negative person is now the, mo is the bodybuilder, right? We see it happen. So I guess the thing I'm trying to say to the audience is you might be going through the most devastating back pain, you might be going through the most amazing experience in your life to grow like you've never been challenged before. We all know, well, if you have a fear of flying, if you have any big fear, what do you do? You go into the fear. And so it's the same thing here. You go into the injury, it sets you free. This is literally a tool I teach called the reversal of desire that was taught to me by an amazing book called The Tools. Two clinical psychologists, you go into the fear, it spits you out, and now you're free. Easier said than done, easier said than done, but it's, it's empowering. It really is. Yeah, it is hard. But I think that you said it a few minutes ago too. If the practitioners, clinicians, even coaches framed their way of setting that up, it's almost like setting the, the client up for more success. Then I feel like that changes the client's then mindset of how they're going to heal. So this is where support and structure and team, all that stuff kind of blends in. And having the belief as a clinician that it's more than just what you learned in your doctor or physical therapy program. Yeah. That's where the experience comes in. Yeah. Right. You learn those things as you go. They're not going to teach you that stuff in school. When you get yeah. old. Yeah. When you what? get told to hang it up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hey, well, you, you know. But it's also practice. Like you said earlier, Dave, every client that comes in that you have to find a new way 
to get them to hear you. As I say this about nutrition all the time, like I can say, drink water. I can say, hey, you need to hydrate yourself. I can say, hey, do you realize that 80% of your body is needs is needs water to function? Well, I could say it 50 different ways. And every person's going to hear that sentence completely different. And so when I sit in the office and I'm meeting with clients, I'm saying it every way I can to get them to make the connection. So it's if I change how I am addressing the client, then their mindset changes as they hear things differently. And Nicole, you it seems to me that you probably have an underlying belief in your client that they can do it. Absolutely. You, tr you, you truly believe that they have the ability once it connects that they're going to, I think we sell our people short. I think a lot of times yeah. they're like, yeah, this person, they don't get it. Negative, negative person. They're just not going to get it. Yeah. We, see, I, I, yeah. I think we, from a professional standpoint, I see people do this on day one that they meet the person and they're like, oh, there's no way that this person is going All to. All of succeed. us are guilty of that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's like, dude, cut, cut them some slack. They could be super successful beyond successful. your wildest dreams and beyond their wildest dreams. And you need to go into that session with that thought process. Yeah. Holding it down for that for the client, I think, is this is from a practitioner standpoint all across the board. Like, it's not about us. You said it earlier, Dave. It really isn't about us. It's about getting them where they need to be. It's tough to put the ego aside. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to check it at the door. I think once we get in touch with, as Carl Jung calls it, our inner shadow, our, our inner self, once we kind of put that whole catharsis aside a little bit of like why you're working and the inner child in you, and, and once we're able to kind of come whole and we're able to just give, yeah, and believe, I, I think that's the future of healthcare I see. Uh, that's, wow. I'm pumped up having this conversation. I mean, that, that would be amazing <laughs> to see. You know, what I what I will say is it wasn't until I went through my own process, right? And I, I think this is something that needs, I don't know if it's something that can be taught, but if it is, then it's something that needs to be taught. Like as I go through my life process and I go through my growth, I'm more intuitive with, okay, you talked about that inner child, right? If I'm more intuitive with my inner child, then I can relate that back to other clients and say, all right, these negative thoughts that you have, that's not you today. That is your inner child telling you you can't and believing that you can't. And for me, and I talk about this all the time, I talk about, and I'm open about this, where Dave, you and I have had these conversations. Nicole, we've had these conversations of, I am little Cito and big Cito, and little Cito is, in, is now in the back seat. <laughs> and every once in a while, he tries to grab the wheel and he's like, no, you can't do it. Stop the car. And Big Cito is like little Cito. Like, listen, I got this. I got it covered. We can do it. I know you're scared. I'm scared too, but we're capable of doing anything. And once I've realized that kind of stuff in my life, I'm able to equate that to my clients and their fears and their disbeliefs and their, I'll say, negative thought viruses that are starting to creep up during their process. That's it. Because that, you know what? It's brilliant, brilliant, man. So if you think about it, the negative thought of your client of I'm never going to get better, the negative thought of your, your shadow as a clinician of, oh, I'm not going to be able to help this person. And you just have these two inner childs that are speaking to one another and they're both not integrated. And it's like the healthcare system is failing. The, the people are all getting fatter. Why is all this happening? It's two inner children that are not integrating. And, but you as the clinician, we have to be the role model. And so it start, it does start with us. I just talked myself into like, there's two avatars that I have. There's two demographics. There are athletes and people that are going through injuries that I look to serve, but then there's other professionals, developing professionals and students that I look to serve. And I just kind of talk myself in the direction. The more important direction for me is encouraging and teaching the professionals, the students how to find their inner shadow, how to become friends with their inner shadow, allow them to sit in the back of the car. You're safe. You're okay. You're with me. Big Cito. That's the crux of it right there. I mean, that's it. Hey man, I'll say Michael Jackson said it best. If you want to change the world, you start with the man in the mirror. That's it. <laughs> Can we play that? Can you, are you allowed to play the rights to that song? Mm -hmm. in this episode? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Moving along. I want to talk about from your standpoint, how specifically you want to integrate mindset into the process of physical rehabilitation? So there's two different sides. There's the very specific mental 
tools, mindfulness, skills side of it. And then there's the side that we just spoke of. I think it's fair to say we did a really good job talking about philosophy of mindset. We could just group all that into mindset, which I think the skills, like you said, the, the meal plan is equivalent to the skills. Meal plans don't matter until you have the right mindset about it, right? The, so in terms of the skills, there's a lot of different ways we can, we can integrate it. Mindfulness. So obviously I talk a lot about one of the biggest tools that I've integrated in my life, which is the harmony exercise, which is a daily meditation practice. Hmm. It's a guided meditation. Now I'm agnostic to the type of meditation you practice. It just has to speak to you. It has to make sense to you. But let's talk about why mindful, why meditation? What is meditation? Meditation, mindfulness is an approach, a way to get yourself into the present moment superseding any physical, mental pain, anguish that you're in. Somebody after injury, what are they experiencing? Mental and physical pain. And if you really want to talk about it and get philosophical, we're talking about some degree of mental anguish. It's a physical experience you're feeling, but it's, it's, it's mental anguish that, especially in the chronic setting. So what better way to allow yourself to integrate that than meditation. It doesn't have to start with some crazy elaborate, whether it's a headspace program or like I do the harmony exercise. I start with a simple reset breath. That's where I like to start. Just a simple, quick reset of getting yourself into the moment, heart, mind, focus, just getting yourself there and using conscious breath. You know, my mentor, John Denny, he always talks about what's the one thing you do on a golf course, like 10,000 times you breathe. Well, how many conscious breaths do you take? Most golfers, especially amateurs, they don't take one conscious breath. Most people don't take one conscious yeah, breath. I was going to say that. <laughs> I really should say. So now you have a person, I'll never forget. A few years ago, I had a really nice younger gentleman in his 20s after an ACL tear, really athletic basketball player. And he was shaking his first day. He was literally like his jaw was shaking, like he was freezing because he was almost having a little bit of an anxiety attack and he was terrified. He didn't even know why he was terrified. He was so scared. He just went through a lot of trauma. The surgery didn't go great. He wasn't sure about all the different elements of the surgery. And I'm pretty convinced. I don't think it was a bad trip. I don't think like he was taking like uh, an edible or something to get rid of the pain. Like he really was just experiencing some insane amount of trauma. And what helped him that first session was literally just I put the, I put all my ACL protocol stuff aside and the, the modalities, I was like, Hey, let's, let's just, let's just breathe a little bit. Let's just work on breathing. And he wasn't even thinking about it, but as he was breathing, he kind of calmed himself down. So I think the first thing we could, if I can tell anybody that's just like, I don't want to hear some crazy spiritual stuff, like, okay, let's talk about your breathing. Why? Cause your breath is the quickest way to control your physiology is through your mm, breath. hundred percent, Dave, your heart rate your sympathetic versus parasympathetic activity that's going on. We all know we recover in parasympath in a parasympathetic state. And everyone that's injured is in this fight or flight, this sympathetic state. And then their recovery is crap because they never really allow that parasympathetic activity to take over. So I guess when you ask for like a tangible tool and a skill, a reset breath, that's what that's the most universal thing. I can take the people through it on the episode if you'd like. It's up to you. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So one of the most effective tools that I have been empowered by my mentor with that I teach to physically injured people is the reset breath. So to start with the reset breath, all we want to do is we want to just bring ourselves into a heart mind focus, right? So we could do this on the golf course after, before a shot, we could do it sitting down in the comforts of our home. It doesn't matter. The first step, just a heart mind focus, bring your mind and your your, your focus around your heart, just for a few seconds. If you have a thought come in, just gently let that go like a car passing by on the highway. Good, we see that go. And then the second step is just gonna be a nice breath. You can do a five second inhalation and a full exhalation. The time doesn't matter as much, but we wanna go in through the nose and out through the mouse. Fully out, full exhalation. And I don't get into too many specifics of how you should be breathing and where you should be breathing, but just a nice inhalation through the nose and a nice full exhalation through the mouth. Now, during that exhalation, this is the third step. 
one of the quickest ways through a dark cloud is gratitude, right? Just a, a positive thought. So we just think of something we're grateful for. It could be something, if our right knee is injured, we can be thankful for our left knee. We can be thankful for the person that took us to our medical appointment. We could be thankful for the car that we're driving. We could be thankful for anything. That's for you to decide. Anything, and if you're having trouble with gratefulness, if you're having trouble for fi to find anything, find something really small, something really simple, something right in front of your eyes. Could be the, the clothing you're wearing. And then we go forward. Now, this is not, this is not gonna fix anything on its, on its own. This is a tool. For tools to be effective, we have to use them and use them a lot. So I would say this is probably the biggest thing. Somebody in that sympathetic state after injury, in pain, we want to work on this. Then we work on the affirmations. We work on getting them to refocus and reframe their negative thoughts. And we kind of shift those a little bit. We play around with some tension. And then there's the more glamorous things that I've written about in the book, like creating an alter ego and some of the, you know, Todd Herman wrote a book on the alter ego effect, amazing stuff. So you can channel this idea of, of working into a different identity, a persona, just for a, it's not about faking an identity as much as it is just using this almost like in the, the movie, Big Daddy, when he puts the glasses on, he's invincible just for a moment to get through a tough, a tough time. And so there's all these different, whether you're reading a self-help book or you're working with your clinician, there's so many tools out there, but you want to start like with your breathing and with presence, no matter what. One of the biggest things is when something bad happens is we just think, oh man, like this thing happened and everything sucks. Catastrophization. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, not everything sucks. Like you have so much to be grateful for and you need to focus on that. And that's what's going to move you forward is that you do have great things in your life. Yeah. What we call that is catastrophization or catastrophizing. That's the whole thing of you leave to work, you spilled your coffee, you're in traffic. And then before you know it, you know, you're getting yelled at by a client and then the day is terrible and you're going to fight in your significant other. But you know what the crazy thing is? Some people live their lives like that. They're caught in that. And then all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many, how many listeners out there are like, kind of even right this moment in the maze, as we call it, or in the, because it's catastrophizing everything. And yeah, that's why is your way out. It's funny because I, I used to ask clients when I would see them, like they'd walk onto the fitness floor and I used to say, so how's your day going? Now I don't ask that anymore because <laughs> they would tell <laughs> I me, I, know. I don't even want to know. I'm not even going to go there. Now I'll say, I come up with different questions, kind of like what we were talking about, reframing questions of how you present things to a client. I don't ask how their day's going anymore because I always used to hear, I spilled my coffee in the car and my husband didn't get me out of the house on time and my kids are driving me. And then it used to set the tone for the session so different because then they would come on the fitness floor and they would like rip off their sweatshirt and stomp. And I'm like, I set that up. I did that because I ah, asked that question, right? Really self-actualized, Nicole, mm -mm. right there. That's a really, wow. That's pretty. Not, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, it's interesting. People ask me how my day's going and I always say phenomenal. And they're like, oh, that's a great answer. Like, what do you mean you're phenomenal? Something in my life is phenomenal enough for me to say right. that my Today day is, is going phenomenal. Even well, if you're everything, here. even if <laughs> even if the whole world came crumbling down today, I am phenomenal. I woke up this morning. I took a breath. Mm -hmm. I went about my day. I made money. I make a living. I'm fortunate for, you know, the place that I live, I, everything. There, there are so many things for you to be grateful for that that should be more your focus than the negative shit that's happening in your life. Everybody has negative shit. And it's, it's just how are you perceiving your life as a whole and the direction that it's going in? And listen, if you're not happy with the things going on in your life, right, it's a little bit off topic. But if you're not happy with the things going on in your life, you have the ability to change that. You're in control. Take a deep breath, move forward, focus on what needs to be done to get where you need to go. Love your life or change it. And that reminds me of a quote that my mentor always says, faith is the connecting link between hoping and knowing. And I think, Daron, you're a testament to that with the different challenges you've had in your life and overcoming, whether it's your inner shadow, little Cito, like you were talking about. <laughs> I think it's a perfect example right there. You know how you're thinking from just saying, hey, 
something's phenomenal in my life. You just quickly showed us that in action. You just started rattling off these things you're grateful for. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to walk your mind to where it needs to be. And too many people feel so disconnected from having even just a tool to do that, let alone the belief that they can do that. And so I think you have to have that, you know, faith is the connecting link between hoping and knowing. You have to have a faith that you are phenomenal, plain and simple. Now, Dave, this gets into a little bit of what you talk about in your book, where you talk about using the momentum that you have from your uh, recovery from that injury as fuel for other areas of your life. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. And I think when I wrote this book, maybe I thought of it in more segments. And now I realize that it's really from the, the onset of looking at your life as a whole. Something I noticed working with people after significant injuries or surgeries, what happens? All right, let's say you're in the working world and you have an, kind of like an average job, I'll say just a typical job or, or just something where you know, you're in an office setting or you're a nine to five, we'll call it. And you finally have an opportunity to take a pause from this job you really don't love and you're on vacation. So they're coming in for rehab because they, they can't go into work to their nine to five. They had an ACL reconstruction or knee surgery, whatever. And I'm asking them, so what are you doing with all your time? And they're like, eh, I'm not, yeah, not doing much. You watching anything cool on Netflix? No. Reading any good books? No. And I realized, I'm like, so you hate your job. But now you have all the time in the world. You, do, you don't have a clue as to what to do with it. Now, what happens with most people? My knee's killing me. My mind is just focused on my knee. My, they, we give like almost, um, we call it agency to our body parts. We give them a life of their own because sometimes they'll say, oh, I want to cut it off. So there's this lack of integration in, their, in the different compartments of their life. And now they could hide behind their injury. I realized the conversation should be had in this moment of, wait a second, wait a second. So your knee's killing you. We want to talk about your knee. Really, I mean, your knee's stable right now, even though I know it doesn't feel great. But you're home right now from this job that was causing you so much more pain. The truth is they haven't tapped into their higher purpose. So the whole third section of the book is, look, your life has been disrupted right now. In order for you to grow fully through this in all domains, you need a purpose. Because if we're just a wandering generality, as Zig Ziglar says, that's not going to get us very far. We need to be a, a meaningful specific, as he likes to say. So I don't see there to be any better moment than when you're in a dark time to define some of your meaning. So now that you're home after this injury, do you really think going back to that job is the right route for you? Can you maybe do some research on, you know, while you're home rehabbing, what other things are you interested in? The time is now. This is no better time for you. You're really in the moment where you can shift. You can change directions. You might as well. It's like when people go through a divorce, sometimes they refine their career or, or what they're passionate about. They, re, you know, they, or the midlife crisis, right? This in, in some ways is, is a crisis of your entire life, but it's a perfect, it's like a rite of passage, you know, when you graduate college, you look at it as, well, now what am I going to do in the world? I have to get a job or no, this is a rite of passage where now I go to the next step. This injury is a rite of passage. And if you start again, reframing it that way, then you take advantage of time zero. You take advantage of what this whole thing has given you the opportunity to. Well, re refocus my mind, take ownership of my mind, learn how to be better with my body, learn how to be better with your life. And that's what I mean by fueling those other areas. We talked about negative thought viruses and thought vaccines, and it's a perfect time to talk about that with COVID stuff, because some people took COVID as mm -hmm. an opportunity, you know, myself included, Nicole, all of too, us, right? All of us. Dave. Yeah. And other people are just like, oh, man, like this virus sucks. I'm locked in my house. I, I can't leave. And they're just focused on the negative. And I wish that more people had realizations and awakenings where they're like, I've got an opportunity and I've got plenty of time on my hands and I can do whatever I want with that time. I mean this with my full heart and soul. This with what just happened is we are on the brink of the next Renaissance. I believe this in the 
I'm telling you, there's so many of us that have awoken through this. And I'm not talking about, po- this is not a political conversation. We're talking about just- Stay woke. <laughs> yeah, we're not, I don't mean it in that sense, maybe, but- More we, on the individual. For you as the, for us as the individual right. type of awakening, like within all the chaos, if you the call it The great awakening. There's something deeper for us as individuals because everything for the- it, Every individual experienced a change with COVID in their own way, right? So how you handle that individual change in your life because of COVID is what will determine what you do next. I mean, we, I've talked about this many times on the podcast. I got injured as a dancer. I was told to do strength training. I found a new career. Yeah, absolutely. Injury was the biggest blessing I've had. I would not even have been here if it wasn't for that. Right, right. And I think- Seeing your problem, not seeing it, but the truth is the problems that are bestowed on us, my belief from the universe, whatever you want to call it, those problems are there to shape us internally. But the problem is, (laughs) no pun intended, no pun intended, (laughs) we go externally, right? And we want the same originator of those problems to be our solution. Mm -hmm. But the the irony behind it is, well, no, 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 the problem out there is to force you inward. But once once you force it inward and you don't look at CNN or Fox News or whatever. Or Instagram. Or Instagram even. And you turn it inwardly, then you have the opportunity, no matter what's happening outside. And I really mean that, to define yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm, just, I'm grateful in this moment that I don't have cable. And I just have like Netflix and Amazon because I I'm like, I don't watch. I'm not I don't have CNN or Fox News or no. whatever, whatever network it is. ABC, MSNBC. I'm like, I'm this was an opportunity for me to be like, all right, what does Daron want? Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that more people had had thought in that way. I had a conversation with somebody the other day. And, you know, she had mentioned something about COVID. And I said, you know, I, I have to be thankful for COVID. And she's like, haha, like, that's, you know, real funny. And that, that was a good one, right? She's like, haha, good one. And I'm like, no, but I'm like, I'm serious about that. Like, I'm, I understand that a lot of people are out there struggling. Some people still aren't earning a paycheck. And I'm, I, I can understand that. And I, I can empathize with that. And, and, you know, I get it, but I'm grateful for the time that I had. And Dave, it's like the same thing that you're saying is that when you have an injury and now you're off from work, you have the time. Be grateful because this is the one opportunity that you are going to have. You're not going to get this shot again. Take advantage of it for yourself. When we are thankful for the struggle, we're unstoppable. When when we're thankful for the struggle, we're unstoppable. And there's there's a tactic you can use if you, if you really another tool that I've learned, it's called Jeopardy. So you think of really yourself on your future deathbed, right? Now it's not, we talk it's, about this all the time. Right. It's, this is a universal tool. You think about yourself after an injury, okay? And you think of this moment you were given. And then you think of your, your future self on the deathbed. It's not happening. You don't have to get anxious about it. You might get a little reaction. The first time you play around with this tool, I think we all kind of get a little weird about it. But when you think of yourself in that capacity, because it will be certain, likely certain to happen, then we can say to ourselves, well, then what should we do in this moment? There's only one answer. The only answer is be grateful, be thankful for the struggle and turn that lemon into lemonade because nothing else you do, you're, gonna, you're not going to be happy with any other way you went about it. There's only, there's only one way. Nicole, it's like you and I talk about all the time. And I said it once, I said it again, if you envision yourself on your deathbed right now in the things that you've done with your life, are you going to be satisfied or are you going to have unfinished goals? And the thing I say all the time, and you heard it here first on the Eat Right Nutrition podcast, (laughs) don't die with your goals because that is the worst thing you could do. You're going to be laying on your deathbed and you're going to be thinking, man, I could have done so much more with the time that I had. Les Brown. He's yeah. always say Les Brown says what? It's, uh, the richest place is the graveyard. <laughs> Dave, I'm going to stop us there. I think this has been an excellent conversation. I think mm-hmm. there's definitely, I mean, we could go on for hours and hours on this. I think this book is uh, phenomenal. First and foremost, kudos to you. Phenomenal yeah. accomplishment. Just putting this thing together 
well thought out. I think all the content and the direction that you're going in, the trajectory that you're going in, I want to see Dave Meyer change the game. I want to see him change the world. And I look forward to seeing more of you, more of your content and more of your success and your growth. Where can we find you, Dave, on Insta? Thank like you, what? guys. I appreciate both of you so much. You could find me, Nicole, on Instagram, Dave M. Meyer, D-A-V-E-M-M-E-Y-E-R. That's where I'm most active, as both of you know. Mm-hmm. And you could find Injured to Elite on Amazon, of course. Just type in Injured to Elite. At this point, just Google Injured to Elite. You will find it. I would love a shout out on Instagram. Let me know how you thought of the episode. And I am so thankful for both of you. I'm really proud of both of you. An amazing, amazing podcast you've put together and your consistency is really inspiring me on a weekly basis with my own show. So it's been awesome coming on here and uh, much love to own. We grew up on the same block and we'll always, uh, we'll always have that man. So awesome to come on. And and you're moving to the same neighborhood now. So we're going to be neighbors again. It's, it's really funny. I can't wait to be in Bayside. We'll do a little uh, in-person episode finally. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dave Meyer, he, who's going to change the game in physical therapy. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 